As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. But there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, the series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and ever in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Barry Johnson, current founder at Lily Mo Games. So join us as you explore his journey. So today I'm joined by Barry, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you for having me. No, not a problem at all, it's an exciting time, always on the, the, the eve of the launch of a title, of course by the time the listeners are listening to this the game will have been out for a few days at this point, okay. um, but it's always an exciting time, so h- how are you feeling leading up to the launch? Uh, I'm feeling good, I feel like it's our best game yet, so I'm more confident than I've ever been, but there's always a little bit of just uh, jitters to see what people Something will think. Back in the, the mind. End. Yeah, yeah, just wondering. <laughs> If secretly everyone hates it and I'm, I'm just uh, living oblivious to it or something, you know, you never know for Under sure. Under a rock or something like that. <clears throat> well, yeah, we had, we had a bit of a chat beforehand, I guess, since this is going live um, after uh, the, the embargo and after the game has actually come out, I, I can talk about m- uh, my thoughts. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of what you've achieved with the rock here too. It's, it, it's some, and we'll talk about the game in, in uh, more uh, deeper deeper levels shortly when we actually get to the game as part of your whole career journey but I'm a real big fan of what you've put together in the title there and we'll, we'll dive into some of the finer details of the game shortly sounds good this is Dev Diary a series where we talk to developers from throughout the industry they share their stories their experiences and the journey that's led to this point in their career so Barry I think one of the most important things before we actually get to your time in the industry and developing games is exploring some of the games you might have played before that do you recall what your first gaming experience was or uh, what some of your first gaming experiences were? Yeah, definitely. Uh, my first game was Mario World, and that's still among my uh, favorite games of all time. You know, I can just go back to it and play it and get into a mindset of when I was that age again, and it really just, you know, all those nostalgic feelings that people pine for. But uh, games like Donkey Kong Country, I was really into platformers at first. Then we did get an NES later, and I went back and got into games like the older Zelda tit- titles, and uh, Bubble Bobble was a favorite of mine on that. Yes. <clears throat> Looks like yeah, you and I have cut from a similar cloth at the beginning anyway. I didn't get the opportunity to go back to the NES until I was much older, but okay. definitely brought up on the same titles. Yeah, Mario World, the Mario All-Stars Collection, I think was the first game I ever actually played in the end. Um, and yeah, Donkey Kong Zelda got introduced. Sounds like we kind of came through it at a, at a similar sort of point and playing similar sorts of games. So I, I, I can very much relate to the titles you're talking about there. Right on. As you grew up, uh, were there any franchises or specific titles that you really attached yourself to that, or genres even that were really important to you? Well, I really like most of the genres. Really, I mean, I'm not much of a stealth guy or a hardcore simulator racing type game but pretty much yeah. every every other genre I'm I'm willing to give a go uh some unique ones that come to mind are like Katamari Damacy I really loved oh yeah uh Dead Rising 2 it's a weird call out but I really loved both of the Dead Rising 2 games um Breath of Fire 2 was my the first oh, RPG that I really got into that uh, really brought me into the well, I guess I played Mario RPG, 
before that, but I didn't really... Oh, yeah, yeah. I was really young, and I didn't really understand that it was an RPG at the time. It was a rental. So I really rediscovered the genre, or discovered it for the first time with Breath of Fire 2. And that's one that still stands out in my mind as a titular title or whatever, you know? One that I think How about of... these days? Obviously, you probably get less time to actually consume games given that you're busy making them these days but uh are there any you know modern sort of trends in gaming that you've you've taken a bit of a liking or, or p- particular franchises that you still really try and find the time to go back to if the opportunity arises uh let's see this year i wrote a few down that i played this year shakedown hawaii was one that i recently oh, yeah. liked. uh miles morales uh ghost of tsushima and demons tier plus I, I try to check Ooh, out a lot. Demons of, tier, I'm not familiar with. Oh no, that's a great one. It's by no. uh, Cowcat, and uh, I can't remember who he ported it from. It came out on the PC first, but Cowcat ported it. It's great. That's on PS4 and to, Vita. That, that's where I played it. Might have to look into that one. Yeah. But uh, so there still seems to be a, like a broad range of different genres and uh, titles, big and small, in terms of scope as well. So you're still still getting opportunities to dabble. Yeah, in try, and around the development of your own titles. I try to try everything I can. I don't I don't complete everything as much as I used to. I was really like playing almost everything that came out before I started making games. Like uh yeah. I was big into trophy hunting and I was trying to be the number one trophy hunter in Canada Canada. I got to number two for a few years, but uh that's that's long faded. I think I'm sixth or something now, so uh, I think I'd still I'd still take sixth. Yeah. <laughs> I, I took a look at mine actually. I was on PSN PSN profiles the other day, and I'm, I think I'm like ninety something in Australia. So I, I'm a uh, like I, I like collecting trophies, but uh, I can't keep up. To, to it's a lot of work to compete on that level. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And especially these days, I've got two young kids, so I've got no chance. <laughs> I had to I, like I'll play what I can. I'll platinum what I can when the opportunities arise, but. Um, or if the it's just the right game, right time, maybe the length of the game is right, but uh, otherwise I'm I'm falling off the pace significantly in recent years. So. That's more the speed that I'm at lately too. Yeah, and different uh, different reasons, but yeah, game development is a it's a beast. It keeps you busy. I'm sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you you start to feel guilty if you're gaming too much and not making them. So it's uh, <laughs> and then if you're if you're not playing them and you're working too much, you start to feel guilty in a way there too. Like you're missing out on something. So it's a balance. Do, do you feel like, to that point, do you feel like um, actually getting opportunities to play the games, whatever it is that's coming out, again, whether it's big AAA or small independent, do you feel like that helps you in some ways um, just to kind of see what you know, some of the trends might be or or even just some cool ideas that kind of bubble to the surface through whether it's the indie scene or whatever? Do you feel like that's important to helping you and your definitely, design definitely. philosophies and your development? I think, uh, I think my skill set in a lot of ways is... Uh, Less in like raw coding ability or anything like that, but more playing games and being able to understand what they're doing and why and the systems behind them. So I get a lot out of just playing games and seeing, I'll come to solutions that are unrelated to the thing I'm playing just by something I see on screen or I'll see a a solution to a visual error that I've uh, run into. Like it happens all the time now. It's actually almost like a curse now that I'm... uh, when I'm playing games, I'm just analyzing them so hard. I'm like not enjoying them in the same way sometimes, you know. Do Do you have strategies for yourself that kind of help you break out of that mold, and so you can just try and immerse yourself in the experience and enjoy it for what it is? It's or just, can uh, you just struggle to detach yourself from that development? Yeah, I can. Side? I can. I just have to. It's like it just happens. And then you you realize you're doing it, and then uh, well, sometimes a lot of the time I want to be, I want to be learning these lessons, but then I'll just realize yeah. it's happening. 
and I'll, and I'll kind of just uh, change modes, I guess. <laughs> That's fair enough. I'm, I'm glad you're able to do that because I've spoken to a few people over the journey who, yeah, really can't turn that side of the brain off, which I can appreciate and understand, of course, but uh, it's I'm glad to hear that you're able to kick back and actually enjoy some of these games for what they are as well. Yeah, I always enjoy games. Like uh, even when I'm playing bad games, I can typically find something fun. That's uh, that's what I learned in the trophy hunting when I was playing like um, I don't know a Disney game or something or uh, just a cheap platinum. I could usually find something fun about it. It really surprised me that I if I opened myself up to just try anything, there was a lot of fun in some of these games that you'd never play. It's just finding that finding the fun, I guess. Yeah, sure. So was there a game or maybe series at all that really helped uh, inspire you to actually get into development yourself? Uh, I'd probably go back to the Mario world. Uh, that was When I first played that game, I mean, I was obsessed with games ever since. And I always thought when I was a kid, I'd want to... I didn't have a good vision of what I wanted to do. Like, I just, I was like, I want to make, I want to work at Nintendo was what it was. And then I found out they lived in, or they worked in Japan. So I was like, oh, I can't do that. So I, I never really uh, fully realized it until later in my life. But, uh, and then coming back to the Mario again, I was playing Mario Maker. I think it was on the, was that on the Wii U? The original Mario Maker? Yeah, yeah, the original Mario Maker, yeah. So I was playing that and I loved that. I loved the level design and I was uploading it and sharing it with my family, my levels. And then something happened where my levels got like banned from their server or something. Oh. I don't know why. I think that was too good. That was too good. I think uh, I think it was just a storage issue. They they're like levels that aren't being played, let's let's wipe the servers or something. And I couldn't re upload them and I was so frustrated. And then I, I just uh I just came to the resolution that I was going to try and do it on my own. You know, I'd taken some programming classes back in high school and I'd always wanted to do this. So I was like, why don't I just try and make these levels and see if I can make a game on my own? And so what, from what I've got noted here, that's where Game Maker comes on. Uh, yeah, obviously pulling on some of those uh, those earlier classes, but a bit of YouTube tutorial sort of work as Definitely. well. Um, did you have the idea for what ultimately became Perils of Baking from the get-go or is that something that really kind of developed as you were just experimenting and learning and then you found something that that worked i think it started as just uh, a little guy who looked kind of like mario but different and maybe a little bit like me and he didn't really have the baking attached to him yet and i just uh, i just thought there's these brothers that are that are plumbers that's just like a normal trade job what what's a yep. job that could could have good verbs to it that could have good actions and abilities and interesting enemies and the baking thing just kind of sprung baking. into mind. Yeah, and it went from there. And so what was that like for you? As you mentioned, obviously, there's quite the, the Mario influence there, especially, obviously, the 2D side-scrolling variety. Um, how did you manage to... Sep were you even attempting to try and separate yourself from, from Mario? Was it, I mean, I've played the game and I don't look and go, oh, this is a knockoff or anything like that, but you can see the influence in it. And how, how did you try and identify that difference between okay I, i'm mirroring them here versus i'm taking something that's really inspired me and i'm building on it or i'm taking it in a different direction well there's some there's some donkey kong country in there as well if you remember the the sort of minecart levels that was definitely a yeah. donkey kong country thing and the letters the spelling bake was kind of like spelling <laughs> kong that's that's the kong letters yeah yeah but uh i don't know that i was really trying to hide it i was just trying to make something that felt as close to those two games or what I liked about them as I could. 
with the abilities that I had and, uh, and, and really get it done. Cause that was a big thing. I wanted to make sure I finished it and not just give up halfway through. So I told myself, uh, I was, I think I was 28 when I started or about to turn 28 or something like that. And I said, by the time I'm 30, this game is going to be released. And I did it on, uh, the month of my birthday, it came out. So I barely oh. pulled it off, but, uh, I really just worked hard for that goal. And like, uh, if, I, if it's not as perfect as I want it to be, I, I'll work on that for the next one, but I'm going to finish this game in time. So that's where I... Which is what one of the great challenges of development anyway is being able to identify, okay, this is this is it. Like, it is complete. It's time to step away because otherwise you can constantly refine and tinker and tweak and, and never actually move on to another vision at any point. So that that's a challenge in and of itself. What would have happened had it gotten to your birthday and it... It was that close, but it wasn't quite done. Would you have just put it out? Uh, yeah, I definitely would have put it out. I just, uh, hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I was really determined to get it done. I'm not sure what I... I guess if I hadn't made that date, I probably would have taken a substantial amount of time to refine it and reassess yeah. what I what I could do. And uh, maybe... I probably would have aimed for the next year or something. That's probably what I would have done. By next birthday. Next yeah. birthday, we'll get it. And it'll be better. <laughs> Uh, so what did you learn from that whole experience? Because, I mean, this is the first game you've ever developed. There's a, a million different influences there within gaming and uh, in terms of the actual games themselves, but also obviously other other people developing titles or, or media. Um, what was that like for you and like seeing the other side of the curtain, really, that how, how the sausage gets made, for want of a better phrase? Uh, it was... It was interesting. It was uh, a very informative and long experience. Uh, it took a long time to really start getting traction in what I was doing. So I don't think I really knew what I was doing for the first year, probably. Uh, that, yeah. that was just playing around, trying to make it feel right. And uh, and then there was the whole process of um, starting a company. And my sister and my dad helped me with that because my sister's a lawyer and my dad runs the company. And they know business that I don't. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that's handy couple of skill sets to draw upon. Yeah, for sure. I would, I was, I'm clueless in those type of things. Um, so then it was a matter of getting in touch with Sony and having them approve Lilymo Games as a developer, which went surprisingly smoothly. I was worried they wouldn't. Oh, good. So, yeah, they were the easiest to um, to partner up with of all the big platform holders. Uh, oh, awesome. So I'll always be thankful for that. They, yeah, they first released on uh, PlayStation and. They're the only console that we've self-published on so far, but that may change in the future. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens with uh, some future titles. So, so from from there, obviously, as you mentioned, like you've established the company at this point, Lilium Games is formed. Uh, you've got your first title out there in the form of Perils of Baking. How did Hybroxia come along? Because, I mean, you, again, you can see you can see influences in the title, but it, it it it's quite different to what you'd already established there with Perils of Baking, um, in terms of genre, in terms of moment to moment gameplay yeah for sure. how did you land on the concept of Herbroxia being game number two so it, it comes back to my tastes being wide-ranging and I always just thought it would be cool to you know make a di completely different game every time and not get locked into one sort of wheelhouse right right away although we have been making sequels now with Herbroxia too but I like to think yes. that we're still going to be experimenting and changing things up and trying all sorts of new genres as we go forward. But yeah, with uh, Habroxia 1, I, I love shooters. I've never been the best at the arcade style shooters. I'd play some of the 
more hardcore ar arcade style ones and I just get demolished sometimes. But there were some in uh, re recent years where you'd uh, level up a bit as you played. I'm trying to think of, uh, I think Skyforce was one that I played that was like that. Skyforce okay. University. Okay, and basically the RPG systems in it. Yeah, yeah, and I liked key. that. I liked that you could you could keep grinding and you'd be able to beat the game eventually, although I think it was a bit more of a harsh grind in that game. Um, so yeah, and uh, the other thing was the controls. I, I, I didn't like that you would uh, tap triangle or something like that to switch between uh, firing firing methods in a lot of these games, these shooter games. You'd have these different oh, yeah. firing patterns and you'd tap a button and I'd kind of be like, oh, which one's next? I don't even know what I'm switching to when I hit this button. So I, Because you're just scrubbing through, basically. Yeah, yeah. So I liked the idea of combining the two button presses for the, for the firing patterns. You hold one button and it fires one pattern, hold another, it fires another. You hold them both and you get kind of a combined spread. So those, I think those two concepts, along with just the idea of making an arcade-style shooter, were what led to that game. Um, and what about little bits like the uh, the shifting perspectives, for example? I've, we tend to think a lot of these sorts of games being all vertical, all horizontal, but you kind of flip that on its head a little bit and change the perspective part of the way through various levels. Not every single level, but often enough that you would sometimes shift that perspective entirely. And obviously those upgrades. Like what Did you have any difficulties implementing those various systems? Uh yeah, it was kind of what I expected. I, uh, I, I wanted to do that right off the bat. It just seemed like a fun idea. And uh, I think maybe the, the shifting, when you're in a level that's uh, horizontal and it starts slowly shifting to vertical, the, just the, the slowing of the speeds of the, the walls and the backgrounds and whatever enemies. Yeah. And that was probably the, the biggest hurdle, but it wasn't a big deal. And then it was just uh, getting the enemies to either behave differently vertically or create different vertical versions of those enemies to uh, inhabit those different sections. Yeah, okay. I mean, that you, you've made it sound far simpler than what I expected it to be <laughs> when I played it, but that's, oh, that's fantastic then, if that's the case. So then the ne uh, the next title in your, your run of works through your career... Uh, I guess it's a big one in terms of um, the company, in terms of potential for the future... It's Twin Breaker. Yeah. And the thing that's really important to know about that, and I mean, Colin's been on the show previously, is the fact that Colin Moriarty got, uh, became a part of the company in and around this time and was working very closely with you in terms of uh, development, in terms of writing, those sorts of aspects. How important was Colin's uh, input in the game? I'm sorry. I'm sure you're not going to turn around and say, yeah, he was useless. But... but uh, how important was that in terms of a whole host of different re uh, reasons? The the game itself, in terms of the direction of the company, I'd imagine there's, uh, with Col uh, Colin having a fairly large audience, that would have been quite important as well. Maybe not necessarily the, the driver behind the decision, but it's a, a handy little side effect, I suppose. What was all that like when Colin got on board? And how did it actually begin in the first place? Right, so Colin and I have, uh, well, I guess you could start by saying we were playstation network friends for a while and kind of messaged each other i remember uh I don't, he probably won't remember this but years and years ago on podcast beyond uh i was on his friends list and he gave me a shout out not as a uh, just like kind of joking oh. around because i was always playing the game white knight chronicles which i loved it was a oh, it was yeah. an rpg that you could play online with friends it wasn't in a, a massive an mmo rpg it was just like 
you know, a, a few friends, like four people would group up. Anyway, I was on it all day and I changed my name to WKC247 or something like that is my little status. <laughs> and, and people are always railing on the game because it didn't review well or whatever. And I think uh, Ryan Clements gave it a, a poor review or something and people were writing in, yeah. giving him shit, which I would never do, of course, but I did love the game. Anyway, he brought me up. He's like, there's this guy on there who's playing it all the time, 24-7. He's on white. <laughs> anyway, I'm getting, uh, I'm losing the point here. But uh, we've been in contact for a while. And uh, when he started Sacred Symbols up, uh, I messaged him with the code for Perils of Baking. And he played that. And he uh, gave me some feedback. And he talked about it on the show. And promote, not promoted, but he mentioned it for me and talked about it. And then right, right when... Uh, Habroxia was uh, finishing up. I was playing with the idea of including him as one of the astronauts, just having an astronaut called Colin. And I was like, oh, is he? Yeah. I was like, wait a second. I should probably like ask his permission or something. See if he's okay with it. Yeah, but I was like nervous about it because we still had temporary Arden for the astronauts. So I hadn't asked him yet. And then he emailed me out of the blue and uh, he pitched me. Uh, I can't remember what the first game idea he pitched me was. It was. Uh, well, that doesn't matter. Anyway, we didn't end up making that, but I told him about um, Habroxia. Is that the, the brawler starring Chris? No, the brawler came later. I'm trying to remember. He pitched, like, uh, a ver- it was the same title. It was Please Protect Chris, but it started as something else. Something like a <laughs> Castlevania platform, a linear Castlevania uh, style platform. Of course it's Castlevania related. Like but, uh, that makes sense. But yeah, we ended up, uh, I showed him Habroxia 1, and he, and he liked it, and then I... Uh, I told him about the Twin Breaker game. The, I already had the idea of just the, the paddles, the four paddles, the two paddles. And uh, then we from there, we just uh, joined up, basically. It, slow, it happened slowly, but it all built up to him joining the company as the chief creative officer when uh, Twin Breaker launched. And yeah, he wrote the story. He gave loads of feedback in terms of just the structure, the menus. Um, yeah, but he's a co-producer on all of our games going forward, as well as writer, and he plays a huge role. And we discuss everything as a team, because I consider him a partner. No, as you would. I mean, um, and it helps. Like he's got, it's, he's not someone coming out of the blue. He's got thirty plus years of experience in games. He's played more games than the majority of people out there. Has a very, very deep understanding of, especially of certain genres as well. And some of those are obviously some of the titles that you've made so far, and will be presumably making in the future. So to have that sort of experience alongside you would be invaluable, no doubt. Yeah, and uh, of all the people in the industry that I followed over the years, I've just always vibed with him and his and his views on games and his opinions, and I've always felt like he really knew what he was talking about. So of, yeah. of anyone I could choose to work with, I'm glad it's him. Well, I mean, it was one of the things I told him actually when he when he came on the show uh, last year was the, the way he thinks, basically what you just said there, the way he really deeply analyzes games and those sort of things and, and tries to explore the background, not just the, the surface level product as well. Exactly. Like that was one of the main influences for, for my pursuits in the media side of things for, for this show in a lot of ways as well. So um, clearly he's in, influencing people in a variety of different perspectives within the industry. It's, it's fantastic and it must be awesome to be working alongside him. Uh, then he bought also a 49% stake in the company, as you mentioned, became cre- uh, chief creative officer. But yeah, the, the, the aspect of the, the audience, I'd imagine, like Colin, uh, Sacred Symbols, going, uh, 
with his kind of funny days dating even back to podcast beyond has built quite an audience over the years and i'd imagine that's been really helpful again not the driving reason behind any of this of course you spoke about how it was it started with just conversation and working together and sharing ideas but i'd imagine having that community behind him has probably helped uh the reach of presumably even dating back to Herbroxia and Perils of Breaker. I'm sure a few people have gone back to those as well, but specifically Twin Breaker and now Herbroxia 2. I'd imagine that's really helped with the reach for those two titles. Oh, of course, yeah. I, you, can't, uh, you can't calculate and you can never know just, just how much that sort of thing helps. But, I mean, it's great. You, I see all the time, all the messages I get, you know, a, more, a majority of them have some sort of a call-in-related tinge to them, you know. It's like, <laughs> oh, I love the games and... Uh, uh, this that Colin did or Colin said this and yet it's like I, I love being embraced by his community because I'm a member of his community you know I've been a patron since uh, he started Sacred Symbols it's good That's he's, fantastic. Got, he's got a great audience you know it's a good group of guys and gals and thankful for their support it's been nothing but and nice hopefully about, it continues uh, long into the future yeah um, cycling back to the game itself so it's a twin stick brick breaker the one that uh, so I I was fortunate enough to get my hands on a code to to review the game uh, last year when it, before it came out. The one thing, and I'm sh- I'm sh- I'm sure this won't be a surprise when uh, when I raise it here. The one I guess maybe sticking point for a few people at first when they played it was the the introduction of the four paddles at various points. Yeah. Um, and from what I've heard from uh, conversations involving you, but also uh, Colin as well, it seemed like the difficulties people were having with that not that they were badly implemented or anything like that because in fact they work fantastically well but the barrier of entry or the difficulty at those points it seemed to maybe surprise surprise a little bit uh, when people were having those sort of difficulties what was what was that like as you were processing that i guess that data as it was coming as it was coming back from critics and then eventually uh the the public as well yeah it's always interesting hearing stuff like that that was definitely uh the biggest um the biggest like feedback difficulty spike related that I'd ever received. Uh, I, I understand it because it's like, it's an interesting concept. You have to think it's one of those things like rubbing your, your stomach and patting your head or whatever. Yeah, that one. <laughs> or it's just like some people are going to jive with it right away. And, and some people might, might not ever really get used to it. So I kind of uh, took that for granted, but we made the game we wanted to make and uh that was that was kind of the the whole conceit of the original idea so we were going to make it that way uh i definitely feel we could have balanced some of those levels better there's some levels in general that are just uh trickier than they should be and a bit out of place so that's something i i regret a little bit Uh, but yeah it was i feel like we were going to get a bit of that feedback no matter what happened if we did the control scheme we did with the four paddles but, you know, maybe with Twin Breaker 2, we reassess what... There's a lot of things. We haven't really uh, broken down what the controls will be or what kind of gameplay ideas we want to fully explore with the sequel yet. So that's definitely something we're going to think about. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm, sure, it'll, I'm sure it'll work out nicely. I mean, I, yeah, I was a big fan of the four paddles coming in. And like I said, it was probably only the... And it seems to be the thing that you've... Uh, mentioned there has been echoed by a few other people that just the, the difficulty at first was the one that maybe caught people a little bit off but once you once you got your head around it and as, as you said it is very equal to the whole patting your head and rubbing your stomach thing once you can get yourself in sync like that it actually it, it actually feels fairly equal to the rest of the game at that particular point it's it's making that change in your brain first that was the the great challenge for uh for myself anyway i won't speak for others but for myself and once once i cracked that egg it was off to the races 
Um, how did the idea initially emerge? Again, this is a, another, a different genre again to the two you'd previously developed at that point. Um, how did you land on a twin stick um, brick breaker? Well, it was this was Colin. I, I him and his podcast. He was always saying, "Where is Shatter Two? Why are they not making Shatter 2? <laughs> and I loved Shatter as well. And I didn't want to make Shatter Two, but I thought, why not make something in that same vein? Why not take the brick breaking brick breaking idea and spin it on its head a little bit and give it some some new take? So that's what I came up with, based off of Colin's request before we were even working together. And it just sowed the seed in your mind and off you went. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. From here, this is where uh, you mentioned before, it wasn't necessarily the goal to do sequels. Uh, You were looking to continue to change things up and explore other genres. And we know that there is some work going on in the background on titles from other genres as well. But this is where the the sequels start to kick in. So you obviously mentioned that uh, Twin Breaker 2 is in the works and there's there's ideas bubbling along for that. It's in the idea phase, I'd say. Yeah, but more imminently, uh, or I guess as of when this podcast goes live, about a week ago, we saw the launch of Hybroxia 2. How did you land on the idea to A, return to the the title, and B, with like some of the little tweaks and changes mechanically, how did you land on some of those changes? How did you draw on some of the feedback, I guess, from the first game, and how did that inspire? Well, it started with the feedback from the first game, really. Um, I had a big list... Uh on my notebook, I keep these keep these notebooks of uh, oh, yes. each of the games that I work on, of all the things I'm doing, all the things I'm fixing, all the feedback I get. And uh, I've been going back and forth with Wayne, our artist, who was the artist on the first game. Uh, he was one of the artists, along with Adrian, Adrian Ray and Wayne Kubayek. And uh, Wayne yeah. is the artist, the lead artist on the second game. He did all of the new art. There's still some old remaining art. So, I, so we do still credit Adrian on the second game as well. But anyway, me and Wayne were going back and forth on all the feedback and all the things we wanted to do for a patch. We thought, let's do some sort of expansion or patch or something like that just to go back into it and do some of these things we wanted to do and all these ideas we had for improvements. But the list just kept growing and growing and growing of all things we wanted to do. And then we were talking with uh, our friends at East Asia Soft as well with his talking with Colin about all these things we wanted to do and what we all decided was just let's just go all out and make a whole sequel why are we trying to fit all these things into this small package when we've got more and more things we want to do let's take some time with it and make a whole new game so that's where it all so it was it was the scope really that kind of dictated yeah and then that allowed us to explore these these different ideas with the mechanics of the special weapon and the in the twin stick firing why not try? Because I always like to do something a bit different. Why not try and change that up as well and change the formula, change the level patterns, uh, have a unique boss for every single level. You know, all the things that we wanted to improve upon. Some killer music. We got a, we got an artist. We got Anthony Swinich or Hang On, Get Ready for our, for our music. So yeah, we, we, we really executed on everything we wanted to for this one. And I'm super proud of it. And some other little aspects as well. So you obviously mentioned the the twin stick uh, functionality in there, but there's uh, there's degrees of non linearity in the form of the the branching yeah. pathways. How did you land on that one? Because that caught me caught me by surprise when I, I came to a, a kind of a fork in the road in a couple. Well, the first time I encountered it, and I guess I guess I'll go up here, and then I realized all of a sudden it's kind of flipped me to vertical. I'm like, oh, 
oh, hang on, there's like there's a whole part of the level I've left behind. I completed it, went back and realized that okay, this wasn't just some little. I don't know you weren't even trying to trap me in some way to oh, a dead uh, end or an untimely demise or anything like that, which would <laughs> would have been uh, horrible for me. But in fact, no, there's there's a whole other pathway here that I could pursue. Takes me to another boss and spins off in a whole other direction. How did you how did you land on that um, that idea? And was there were there any difficulties that you faced in implementing that? Uh, sure. So. I, I remember playing games where that would happen, um, like shooters where you'd, you'd branch off and you'd kind of get locked into that path. And I thought with the RPG-like nature of the, the Habroxia games, it would be cool to allow you to explore the whole all of the paths, like the whole map like that. And uh, yeah, and then the idea of incorporating it inside the levels themselves just seemed natural and made sense to have these like secret exits and... Uh, choice-based uh, uh, branches where you can go up or, or down, you know, kind of like uh, I was playing the Bloodstained... Um, oh, yeah, the sequel? Um, no, the, well, the, uh, yeah, yeah, the, the Ape-It ones by NT Creates. What are they called? Circle of the Moon? Curse of the Moon? There's Curse of the Moon and... <laughs> There's so many titles like that. Oh, it's man. hard, right? <laughs> I think it's Curse of the and Moon. And then you start, you start mixing up some Castlevania ones in there as well, just because, for obvious reasons, with the influences. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, you get, you get where I'm coming from. Yeah. I, I just, I liked that. I liked the different paths and I thought we could do something similar. Uh, well, it worked, yeah, extremely, extremely. Yeah, Curse of the Moon too, as I do a quick, uh, quick bit of okay. Google searching there. Um, <laughs> and so that, that served as quite an inspiration in that regard then. Yeah, it just sort of like uh, brought it to the forefront of my mind, the idea of playing with the path selection and, and having some path selection within the levels themselves. But the, the, the ideas kind of come from everywhere, you know? I'm not really ever looking... Well, maybe more so with perils, but in general, since then, I'm typically looking everywhere for inspiration. I'm not trying to uh, emulate one or the other game. I'm thinking, uh, what are all the ideas I like, and how can I incorporate them in a new way or play with them in a new way? Yeah, that does kind of fit in with what we were discussing early on, where you, you know, you're playing various titles again whether they're big or small and kind of passing through them and just putting that developer hat on at least sometimes anyway to to kind of analyze what what works what doesn't and presumably from what i'm gathering here you're looking at some of those going oh that's that's an idea i can maybe and you're pulling strings or threads from Definitely. different titles yeah. that will then help influence your own work i think it's fantastic thank you um so what are you what are you hoping for again it's weird because we're, we're discussing this here uh, pre-launch, but obviously the the episode goes launch what, uh, goes live after the launch of the title. Uh, what what are you hoping for here? Is, is there any more um, ideas, Hybroxia related ideas that are kind of bubbling in the mind? And are, are you kind of some of those dictated to based on feedback that you may or may not receive relating to Hybroxia too? Yeah, I mean we've yet to receive the the bulk of the feedback for the game. Really, just some scraps from. Uh our PR guys have let us know of people who liked it and questions that some people had. Uh, yep. But we're definitely, I mean, it'll depend on how well the game does, obviously, but I think we'd like to make a third one. And uh, I've even thought about like just some fun, smaller spin-off type ideas to explore, okay. but we'll see what happens. We haven't, we haven't landed on anything and we're going to keep taking notes and thinking about it. Well, I mean, there's, there's a few other uh, titles and genres that you're looking to explore there's uh, Twin Breaker 2 as we've already discussed 
Um, Colin's mentioned on his various shows and also when he came on Dev Dory, he's spoken about the JRPG. He's spoken about uh, one of his dreams of like a tactical Final Fantasy tactic style RPG, which has a lot of challenges, as he explained to me. Um, back when he joined me uh there was the brawl that we discussed before uh, do you have like a, a dream genre that you'd like to tap into or or particular style that you'd like to well um explore at some point like him i'd love to make a, a final fantasy tactics style game i'm more of a final fantasy tactic tactics advance guy myself but uh we both really love that formula uh, th- yes. that's definitely one that'll be a little bit down the road just because we're going to need some time and budget and experience for it but yeah we yeah that's that that's always struck me as a genre that really you got to do it right yeah you need experience involved there otherwise it's a very hard egg to crack for sure for sure but uh i have a lot of i mean we're working on uh some other projects as well that i don't know that i want to go into but uh I, that's fine i consider all of my my games that I work on kind of dream games, you know, I write them down on my dream list and uh, wait for the day that we get to work on them. And uh, we've got one that's in the work right in the works right now that uh, is our furthest along, I'd say. I mean, well, we've got more art for the RPG, but in terms of my work, definitely this other one, uh, I'll say it's inspired by Donkey Kong Country and Bubble Bobble, but it's not really much. That's a pairing. But it's not really much like either of them. Uh, You'll see, my mind works in funny ways. It takes you know specific things about those I love. Uh, anyway, that's one that we're pretty far on, and we're working on a prototype for another idea as well. So we've got lots of things we're experimenting with. I'll be scratching my brain on that one well after we finish the podcast to try and work out how those two pair together. Oh, and then, of course, you're still saying no, there's going to be a uh, twist to that as well. So I'm sure whatever I come yeah, up with will be way off the mark. I think it was called... It was We said it was Donkey Kong Country by Bubble Bobble by princess mononoke was the was the three okay so that's probably confused me even further so i'm really intrigued when this when this thing uh bubbles to the surface at some point um so there are there are a heap of different titles in various different states in in the works obviously the jrpg does uh, will take a long time because there's a lot of writing that goes into that one um for sure and that you know colin's a busy guy um so obviously that one will take a little bit longer one of the things that's really interested me and one of the things I wanted to pick your brain about in relation to all of the titles so far and those that are still to come is the fact that so, uh, Pearls of Baking 2018, Abroxia 2 2020 for Twin Break, like you're, churn- you're churning them out at a really rapid rate and yet, as, as I believe in the case of Abroxia 2, especially more recently, a really high quality. How are you... you. How, how do you manage to... And while still maintaining and... Um, ruminating on ideas for what comes next how do you how are you successfully massaging those titles and the 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 pipelines for those to to continue to get them out at such a rate well i've got some incredible artists and people i'm working with but i'm working my ass off man you know i'm working non-stop and i love doing it there's nothing else i'd rather do and i think i'm getting better at it every time i'm getting more efficient and i'm learning more and I think our games are only going to get uh, better and better as we go. We might take more time with some of our bigger titles, but yeah, I think you can... And that's just simply the scope. I think you can expect to see a title from us every year going forward. I think that makes sense to me. So we'll have some titles oh, that, that will take longer that we'll be working on at the same time, but we're definitely going to see one released, or a second release this year, I should say. So you'll see two, oh, you'll good. See two games out from us this year. I'm confident. Maybe even... Nice. Well... 
Yeah, the other one as well. well you'll see three from us this year. Three. That's incredible. Because, <laughs> I mean, ha- ha- obviously you will outsource people from time to time as well, but like, how many of you are there just specifically working dedicated to Lily Mo Games? Well, we, we've got a roster of artists we work with. Uh, it's just me on the programming and calling on the writing. But we've got, uh, and we've got uh, a musician we're working with who does, he did, uh, hang on, get ready. He did a lot of playtesting for us as well, by the way. And Wayne, our artist, oh, okay. Wayne, our artist, he did a, he did a lot of playtesting as well. And he also did some light game design elements too. He designed, okay. well, he designed enemies straight up. So he designed some of the new enemies and he designed the firing patterns of the special weapons. So yeah. We, we don't make a big deal about getting into the details with all the credits just because none of us are big about that, but I like to yeah. think of us all as part of the team. So, But, yeah, we've got other artists. I don't know if I should uh, name them specifically until we reveal what we're working on with them, but, yeah, we've got other artists we're working with that's as fair well. Enough. Oh, that's great. And I guess one of the other parts or questions that goes with the, the idea that these titles are coming out at such a rapid rate, and now we're, now we're discovering three this year alone, how do you personally uh, manage to, because you are spinning a lot of different plates at the same time, again, various different capacities at different rates, but how do you try and, you know, okay, so Hybroxia 2 is the one that's going to be coming out most imminently. I probably need to commit the most of my, the majority of my time to that one right now. How do you manage to maintain the focus on that one title when you've still got presumably a little idea starting to pop off and, you know, Colin's hit some sort of milestone maybe in the writing for the JRPG and then this idea has risen to the surface when it comes to the other title for 2021 and so on and so forth. How do you manage to yourself uh, commit your your mind share to those various titles? So while making Ubroxia 2, we had a really hard deadline, which people probably don't know, but uh, we really wanted to release the game on physical for Vita, which we did thanks to our partners East Asia Soft and uh, PlayAsia. But uh, yeah, we had to finish the game before the end of the year to to pull that off and have it through QA and everything and ready to, to begin printing because there's not going to be more Vita cartridges. So for that yes, right. So for that time period, I was just working on Habroxia too. Um, the RPG was just going on with Colin writing and art being made, but uh, at that point, I didn't I didn't I don't think I did any work on it until after uh, we passed QA. But uh, more rate, more lately, I uh, I'm more focused on. Well, I can't really say which projects I focus on. But uh, <laughs> no, that's that's fine. But uh, it's it's kind of a one in particular. It's kind of a milestone type thing in my head where I'll I'll just work on one until I feel like I've reached a point where I've really got something done in it for the day, and then I'll switch over to the other for the rest of the day, and unless I finish something there, and then I'll come back to it, or if I'm really grooving or I really want something to get done, then I'll just focus on that. It's just what. I, I, with all things, I really just follow my gut on what needs to be done. I, I don't really make yeah okay. I don't really make schedules or uh, priority lists of things like that. I just I just follow my instincts and uh, keep track of it all in my head. Yeah okay, and I imagine that little notebook of yours gets a bit of a workout just to keep track of okay, we've got this and this. And yeah, this, all the ta- and just all get the tasks are listed down, but uh, all the prioritizing's in here. That's fair enough. Um, and it's clearly working, so I, I can't possibly, personally, I can't possibly fathom being able to spin that many different things at the same time. I guess I'm just a simpleton in comparison, but uh, it's I'm a it's quite an effort, and I'm, sure. I'm really quite impressed. Well, thank you. 
So as we as we begin to wind things down a little bit, um, I'd like to cycle a little bit back more towards you and and some of your design ideas and philosophies and and then a couple of little curly questions at the end. Is there anyone out there in on the development side, but potentially even external to it, who really ex- inspires you and the way you approach game design? Uh, Suda Five One is one I really like. Oh yeah, uh, I like the games that Grasshopper did, especially throughout the ps3 and 360 era those like what was it lollipop chainsaw shadows of the damned killer is dead um yeah i just i love those guys i love their wacky uh i I should say the whole team really but uh i love their art style the wackiness the playfulness the acknowledging that it's a game and and that it's supposed to be fun and just not caring about like being serious because i I do like serious games but uh I really appreciate when people treat games like they're games. Like, it's it's like they're making NES games in 3D. If you know what I mean, you used to get some wacky idea and yeah, roll so, with it, and go crazy. Yeah, and, and just fun. lean into it, lean into the humor, lean into the style, and exactly. And they end up usually being quite a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's that's fantastic. Are there any others in terms of that have maybe inspired specifically the way you try and create your titles or like, have there been people that you've spoken to or worked with in particular that have really, maybe they've just sown seeds for certain ideas that you've been able to take and then, and go with. I don't know about so much as sown seeds, but there's definitely a lot of people that I admire and look up to like, uh, anyone who can, who can do everything like, uh, Axiom Verge was that Tom Hap who, who did oh, that? Oh yeah, Tom, Tom Hap, yeah. Who, who does all of the art and the music and the program? Like that just blows my mind. And uh, I think it's Brian Provinciano who did the who did the Shakedown Hawaii and uh, oh yeah, Retro City Rampage. And like seeing that him run the company so well, where he I think he's producing the physical games himself, like is oh. his company and like has crossed by on like ps3 ps4 ps5 ps vita and like he just uh, that's huge he releases games on like dos and like old consoles and stuff it's just like a crazy level of dedication and support that i uh that i'm definitely inspired by seeing guys like that who are just working non-stop how do you so to that point of working non-stop and again the spinning the plates and all the things we just discussed before how do you identify when it's time to maybe take a little step back to look after yourself and those things because it, it can be especially with so many projects on the go it could be easily one of those things where you just you get lost in the weeds and you know you realize oh i just i need to go get some sleep or i need to take the dog for a walk or whatever you know some of those things the the more day-to-day things that can sometimes get forgotten in anyone you know for anyone who works incredibly hard on something i mean i have those same issues myself and you know, in different different ways how do you identify that, that priority list that you've already got for the work itself, but then being able to step away from that. So I'm pretty good about, uh, I mean, my life isn't much different than when I was, from before I was making games, I was playing games with a oh, similar great. amount of enthusiasm. Like it, gaming's always incorporated much of my life. So that hasn't really changed that much. Um, I'm pretty good about being able to, like I'd relax every night after I'm done. Uh, before I go to bed, I play games and, have a few drinks and whatnot and uh oh good but i I will say during the when we were crunching i mean uh, you're not supposed to say crunch i was crunching myself i choose to crunch for the for the physical release i was working just non-stop like from and i did that before as well 
But when I do that, it's so rewarding. And uh, I'm not like I wake up enthusiastic about getting to that task because I know I have to get it done. And I know if I work super hard, I can really like pull it off. So I and enjoy the rewards. Yeah, afterwards. And I, I like I spent a lot of time in that, but like I chose to and I, I don't think I hurt my health or anything, but uh, it's no I know I know not to do that forever. I did that because I had to for a while to get something done, you know. Yeah. So I guess again, it's and just when you when you come the up gut. the other end, when you come out the other side of that, how do you then like? Is there like a pressure release for you, or is it just yeah, I'm just yeah. gonna have a I couple was, of drinks, or I'm just gonna catch up with people when the you know when there's a pan, not a pandemic yeah, we're in lock, everything we're in lockdown for right now over here, so not meaning. But uh, I definitely took some time after after I did that. I took some time to just play games for like almost I think it was like almost a week, and then. Uh, well, actually, on a, around near Christmas, my well, I don't know if you can see her here. My dog here, Lilymo, yes, who's our who's our mascot, had a bit of a health crisis. Where, oh no! Yeah, she had she had a stroke or something near a, on the twenty third, I think it was. And um, oh, right on right on the eve of Christmas. Not, yeah. I mean, it's never a good time for it, but that's particularly bad. But uh, that forced me to take a break because uh, she couldn't really walk around. She like the left side of her body wasn't working well, so I was just babysitting her in the basement on the car because my basement's carpeted. So we were just chilling down yes, there, okay. playing games and hanging out, and relaxing for a good week. So I got another extended break then. <laughs> I mean, I can see her in the in the video here, looking quite looking quite happy and content, oh, she, getting a lot of love from you right she's now. She's so but, much uh, better now. She's she's all healed up. Oh, good to hear. I was yeah. gonna say, I was gonna say for the sake of the audience, so everything's everything's yeah. going well there now. Yeah, it took her a while, but she's all back to normal. Oh, fantastic! That's that's good to hear. There's a, I mean, I'm a dog lover myself, and I'm sure there's a lot of people listening who are much the same. So there's, there's when you when you name your company after your pet, there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of love there clearly, and uh, for sure, you ne- you never want to see those sorts of things happen at all. So I'm glad to hear that uh, she's coming out the other side very well. Thank you, thank you. I'm I'm very happy about it too. It was a big scare to see her uh, take that health hit, but she's all better now. Good, massive, massive sigh of relief. I'm sure. For sure. Um, so, what have been some of the most valuable lessons and experiences that you've gleaned from your time in in the industry so, so far? And I guess ultimately, you're churning games out at a rapid rate, but it's still quite brief in the grand scheme of things. What have you, What have you learned the most from your time in in games so far? What's been some of the most valuable mm. things you've picked up? Maybe it's just been something someone said. It's tough. It's tough to like put that down to one thing because I feel like I'm constantly just learning small things that incrementally improve on the way I, I think about things and approach things. Uh, I'll, I'll say uh, for this one, I do feel like we, we rushed to meet that deadline and I don't regret rushing to uh, accomplish that, to, to get it out in time for that physical release on Vita because both Colin and I are huge Vita fans and I keep these I keep these cases here on my desk with me because oh, nice. they, they make me so proud and I love seeing them. And I'm happy we made it, but uh, in the future, I would like to just take an extra like two months after we think we're done to just really, really polish and take in feedback. And uh, so that's that's one lesson I think I took away recently is just to take more time at the end before uh, before we set it out into the wild. No, that makes sense. Um, and I guess like that that would have been a great challenge up to that point because again you okay now let's turn in, uh, turn our minds to whatever's next and whatever's next and whatever's next but yeah being able to block out a bit of time to reflect and refine 
I'm sure it's probably going to be really helpful as well. Yeah, I think it, I think it will be going forward to allot ourselves a little, just a little bit more time there at the end. But yeah, I mean, you know, your, your point about having the physical copies there, that, that, that must be great to be able to reflect on as well. You know, I look at them constantly. Years and years of playing games, and now you've got this, this physical, tangible Vita cartridge or PS4 disc that, that you made. Yeah, it's Must it's be really blowing. rewarding and validating experience. It, it, it constantly I can even see in the in the corner of the room now. I can see art from uh, from Twin Breaker up there. Oh, get yeah, on the wall. I printed that on, and put that on the wall because I love that. Yeah, I love I love all of these it. are things that you made, so it must be great. It's a great it's great to see them in physical presence every day, just to remind me what I've done. You know, it's like it's like a trophy that means something because I never really cared about trophies for sports or anything, but yeah, but there's something that I can look at and like be proud of and love the physical like the aesthetic of it and the look of it so it's just so cool i love i love doing these physical and keep releases. it sealed as i saw there too yeah yeah for sure I, well i opened a, <laughs> a different one <laughs> that's fair enough you've got that luxury i suppose um some curlier questions as we wrap things up uh if you could be credited for any game that's ever existed so no matter the capacity you don't have to be running the studio or anything like that maybe it was just one particular aspect of a title as we mentioned before there's lots of games where they might be otherwise quote unquote you know bad games i don't like to use that but you know uh, they might have a lot of issues but there's one area for example that's fantastic maybe it is a, a, a game that is considered a classic by lots and lots of people is there one game out there that you love to just be credited for as having worked on in some capacity well i'd never want to be credited for something i didn't work on but if i were to work on you you get to you get to nudge this person out and take on their role um, yeah well, yeah. Hmm. Uh, maybe I guess just like the easy answer for for me would just be like a level designer on Super Mario World. Oh, of course. Yes. That, yeah, I the guess the source be, of all this, really. Yeah, that's where it all began for me. <laughs> no, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and if you could uh, wipe your memory of any one game and just get to re-experience it from moment one without all the nostalgia and just be be able to rediscover it what game would it be i'd have to go with a lot of people tend to mention their favorite game but it may not not may not be that for some reason yeah i'd go with katamari damasi just because like the, the, oh, yeah. the concept the controls the the wackiness it's something that like uh i've never experienced uh a change like i've never experienced a different type of gameplay like that before I mean, like, since there's been games that are kind of... That Donut County game has kind of the... And, like, games like Flow, I guess, where you kind of grow as you go. But Rift on that idea, yeah. But that was a game that just, like, changed... Like, blew my mind and changed my idea of what a game could be. Like, I'm surprised that we don't... Uh, we don't get more new Katamari games and that we don't see more similar expansions of genres and categories in that way since. Because I feel like... I don't know, maybe I'm building it up too much, but I just feel like that that's such a different way to make a game and it works so well. No, it's, uh, it's certainly very, very different. So I'd imagine like, if you'd be able to re-experience that again from scratch, like, that, that makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of merit in that one. Yeah. Because there's a lot of other titles, even the very best of the best, that we've kind of seen variants before. That wouldn't have been the case. That wasn't the case in... Well, unless there's something that, you know, really abstract... Yeah, unless I not heard something... Of. Yeah, uh, Katamari's not one of those titles. So that's a fantastic choice. So, Barry, I just want to make sure, to, uh, as we wrap things up here, to thank you for, for giving me your time today. It's It was fantastic to have you on the show and share your stories and experiences so far. 
Well, thanks for having me on. This was fun. Um, I really, really appreciate it. And I really look forward to seeing whatever comes next. Uh, Hybroxia 2, it is available now. Uh, what platforms can people go and pick it up on if they're liking what they've seen or heard? They can get it on PlayStation 4, PlayStation Vita, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, Steam. And they can play it on PlayStation 5 via backwards compat. So no excuses there either. <laughs> Yeah, you've got it everywhere, so so be sure to, to go and check it out. I'll, I'll attest, as I mentioned at the very beginning of the show, uh, really, really big fan of the improvements and changes that were made in Hybroxia 2, and it's made, made a really fantastic uh, twin-stick sh- space shooter there that I really, really enjoyed. So congratulations on the work with that. I hope, again, we're, we're re- recording this in a vacuum before all the reviews have gone out um and the other you know and the public have had an opportunity to get their hands on it but i really really hope that everything goes incredibly well for you with with the game and everything to come thank you so much if people are looking to get in touch with you learn more about uh what what you're doing what the studio is doing where would they be best to go probably twitter you can find me at at lilymo games fantastic so make sure to do that. Uh, that's that's exactly how we got in touch. So uh, you're quite open and e- easily received. So um, thank you very much for that, by the way. But if anyone else is looking to reach out or, or just follow, be sure to do so. As I said before, Barry, thank you very much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. And listeners, as always, thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next time. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until the next episode, however, that's been Barry's story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.